Praise God. Let's let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of that song. You know us, Lord. You know what we need. You know what we can handle and, and what we can't. We thank you that you never give us more than we can bear. And we thank you that you also give us the grace to bear it. Open our minds and our hearts to your word this morning. Father, let us receive what you have prepared for us. And may it work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. He was born in Youngstown, Ohio on February 14th, 1956. And early on in life, he realized he had a special gift, a God-given gift, his left arm. It was a unique talent, but one that would alter the course of his life forever. See, little David could throw a baseball very well, very hard and with great accuracy. In fact, his arm caught the attention of the entire school when as a teenager he threw his first no-hitter. He quickly found success on the baseball field at every level he played on. He later would say, my ability to provide for my family was not based on how smart I was or how hard I worked. It became based solely on what my arm could do on game day. It became the topic of conversation when anyone talked to me. How's the arm doing today, Dave? Is your arm ready for the game tonight, Dave? My arm was to me, he said, what, what hands are to a concert pianist, what feet are to a marathon runner. It's what gave me value. It's what defined who I was. In 1982, Dave Dravecki's professional baseball career at the major league level began with the San Diego Padres. One year later, in 1983, he was an all-star. Over the course of the next eight years, Dave developed an on-field reputation for being an efficient, accurate, dependable, reliable starting pitcher with a knack for getting ground ball outs. He developed an off-the-field reputation for being a, a quiet, deeply spiritual man, a humble witness for Jesus Christ. Dave found success athletically, professionally, financially, over the course of his career, on average, every time Dave stepped out onto the baseball field to pitch, he earned $13,500 for every appearance. In 1988, while continuing his Major League Baseball career with the San Francisco Giants, Dave received devastating medical news for what he thought was routine soreness in his prized left arm. It was cancer. He had a cancerous tumor. On April 7, 1988, he had surgery to remove half of the deltoid muscle in his left arm and to freeze the humerus bone in an attempt to eliminate all of the cancerous cells. Less than one year later, he made a highly publicized return to the pitcher's mound. He did what he did best. He did the only thing he'd ever knew how to do professionally. He threw a baseball. He pitched eight innings in a 4-3 win. And his return was hailed as nothing short of a miracle with half a muscle 
in his arm. Five days later, Dave Dervecki threw the pitch heard round the world. His humorous bones snapped. He came tumbling to the ground. The cancer had returned, essentially ending his baseball career. Two surgeries later, his, his arm deteriorated further. And on July 18, 1991, less than two years after that miraculous comeback, Dave Dervecki had his left arm and shoulder amputated. It was over. The thing that had given him value, the attribute that had so defined who he was, was gone. Throwing a baseball was all he ever knew how to do. How would he even provide for his family? How would he earn a living? What what was his life value now that his professional value was over? He was broken. He was broken physically, emotionally, and professionally. But God had other plans. See, through it all, through all the turbulence, all the tragedies, all the changes of life, Dave held on to his faith in an unchanging God. When much of the world had written Dave off as a tragic story, God was just getting started. See, he turned that that man who only really knew how to throw baseball. He became an author. He wrote two books about his career, his comeback, his battle with cancer, and his faith. He wrote a self-titled autobiography for children. Most recently, he's written a, a Christian motivational book published by Zondervan. He became a CEO. He and his wife, Jan, founded a thriving ministry in Colorado, helping people deal with their own cancer struggles. He became a motivational speaker. If you search today, Dave Derecki is one of the most sought-after Christian motivational speakers around, where for each appearance, he earns a fee in upwards of $15,000. When Dave Derecki and much of the world thought it was over for him, God had other plans. He retooled him. He reshaped him. He remolded him. He remade him. We have a God who specializes in the remodeling process, don't we? We have a God who's in the business of taking the worn out, the broken, the tired, the discarded, the marred, the scarred, and turning it into something new. Turning it into something else. We're going to read all about something else today. Turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 18 for our text this morning. And for a little background, Jeremiah was a prophet for about 60 years between 640 B.C. and about 586 B.C. And the book he wrote, the book of Jeremiah, is filled with his his poetry, his sermons, his warnings to nations that had fallen far from God. Nations that had turned from God and embraced sin and rebellion. And and the theme of his book is impending judgment, but, but it's always laced with the mercy and hope that comes with repentance. Here in chapter 18, we find not a sermon, but the preparations for one in the form of a visual illustration for the ages. Let's start. Verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. Immediate, direct obedience. So, I went down to the potter's house. 
And I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. And so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter. So are you in my hand, Israel. I don't think Jeremiah had any idea what he was about to witness and learn from a trip down to the pottery barn there. But right there in the potter's house, he experienced the greatest visual illustration of God's remodeling process. And it's important to understand the setting. A potter's wheel, if you've never seen one, is a large wheel on a horizontal axis. It's really two wheels. One on a horizontal axis upon which the clay is put. And another wheel that's mounted vertically, which the potter spins with his foot. And it controls the tempo and the speed and the revolution of the first wheel. And so you put the clay there and the potter shapes it with his hands as he spins the wheel with his foot. And Jeremiah witnesses this process. It's much the same process as today. It's really changed very little in 4,000 years. Today, the, the only difference is there's an electric motor that runs the potting wheel, but the, the potter still controls it with his foot. So there he is. Jeremiah watches this process. He sees it with his own eyes. He sees as the potter is molding the clay with his hands, and then it happens. Something goes wrong. Some imperfection in the clay, a hard spot within, something in the clay doesn't comply to what the potter is trying to do. And the clay is marred in the potter's hands. It does not become what the potter had in mind. So what does the potter do? He throws it away, gets new clay, and starts over. No. He takes that clay, that crumpled clay, he applies pressure to it, he puts it back on the wheel, and he begins turning it into something else. A different pot, a new design, a remade purpose. The process is, it's an eye-opening epiphany for Jeremiah because that situation, that ruined clay was exactly what he saw in the nation of Israel. The Lord says in verse 5, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. A flawed, imperfect, rebellious, sinful nation as ruined clay in the hands of the great potter. That's our story too, isn't it? It's every bit applicable today as it was 2,500 years ago when Jeremiah witnessed this. We're on God's spinning wheel, every one of us. As believers, we are in the molding process. We're becoming what God wants us to be, but something happens along the way. Who we are gets in the way of who we are becoming. We don't comply. When God applies His hand of pressure to mold us, we fight back. We harden up. We ruin and spoil the work God has done and is doing in us. The promise is never realized. The goal is never achieved. And like that marred clay, we find ourselves in pieces, ruined, spoiled, broken, 
Not from anything the potter has done, but from our own self-will. Do you find yourself there today? The world at large would, would write us off. They would discard us, but praise God, He never did, never does, and never will throw the clay away. It's where He loves to start again. It's where God loves to work, to rework. He begins the marvelous process that will end in a magnificent work of art that at the bottom is stamped with one word, remade. Remade by the potter. It can be our second chance story. Is it an easy process? No. Not for the clay that's going through it. Is it worth it? Absolutely. In the midst of that process, though, it's critical for us to hold on to and remember and focus upon three truths that I want us to look at today. The first truth, and we heard it in the song, the potter knows the clay. The potter knows what he's dealing with, doesn't he? He knows all about the clay in his hands. If you talk to a potter, ask him about the clay he's molding, he'll tell you where it came from, how it was made, where it was produced, when it was produced. He's well aware when the clay gets too dry, what does he do? He adds water. When the clay gets too hard, he applies pressure. When the clay gets too wobbly, he balances it with his hands. He readjusts. Our Father knows us intimately. Luke 12.7 tells us, Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. He knows every molecule of our makeup. He knows exactly what we can handle. He knows what we can't. There's not a flaw, an imperfection, a habit, a tendency, or a sin in our lives that He isn't keenly aware of. And so as a result, since He knows our makeup, our heavenly potter will never turn the wheel one rotation more than we can take. He's in control. He will never apply more pressure on us through trials, through testings, through fires than He knows we can bear. And and there's a subtle lesson here. It's not that He knows what we can bear on our own and He only gives us that. He gives us enough to drive Him, to drive us to Him. He gives us enough for us to say, I can't do it on my own. Father, I need You. Get me through. He applies enough pressure in our lives to drive us to Him. And with His grace and His power, we can be triumphant in situations that we could never do on our own. Things we could never overcome in our own power. As much as the potter knows his clay, we too must know our place. We are his clay. He is our potter. You know, the clay, as much as it wants to, can never become a finished vessel on its own. It needs the potter, doesn't it? It's only through the potter that clay becomes anything of value at all. Clay on its own has no value. The value is what the potter turns it into. It's an effective illustration. A pound of modeling clay can be purchased anywhere for about $2. But take that clay and put it in the hands of a master potter and the vase he produces can become priceless. Our worth is only in what Jesus Christ does with our lives. Outside of what the great potter does in our lives, what's our eternal value? nothing. You want your life to have value? 
You want your life to matter and to count? Stay close to Christ. Stay on the potting wheel and know that your potter knows you. He knows what he's doing. He knows his work in progress. The potter knows the clay. Second, the potter knows the plan. Jeremiah 29:11. I love this verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. God has big plans for you, dear friend. A hope and a future. Listen to those words. As the potter has an image in his mind of what he is shaping, so too God knows what he wants you to become. He has a plan. In it, we have to remember we're at his discretion. Remember the words of our text this morning. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. It doesn't say shaping it as the clay so desired. Shaping it as felt most comfortable for the clay. Shaping it as the clay had always dreamed. No. Shaping it as seemed best to him. It's his choice, isn't it? He has the authority to remake us how he thinks is best. And if we're thinking clearly, really, honestly, isn't that how we want it? Would we want it any other way? Sometimes we think we do, but if we're thinking clearly, doesn't he know what's best for us far more than we do? He is our creator. We're just the created. Sometimes we seem to forget our place, though, don't we? The clay cannot choose what it wants to become. Try as hard as it wants and will. The potter makes the choice. Romans 9, 20 to 21. Look at it on the screen. But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? That doesn't align with, with our desires, does it? That's an uncomfortable statement. See, we, we want to be the beautiful vase in the museum, adored by all as they pass by. We don't want to be the cereal bowl. <laughs> but are both not of use to God? Who are we to say if God says to us, child, I want to use you in this way or that way. I want to use you in the background. I want you to serve quietly and no one will know. I want you to serve even though you're single. I want you to assist though you think you want to lead and can lead. If God makes the call as to who he wants you to be, and how he wants to shape your life, you will never find peace, contentment, or fulfillment outside of that. Let me say that again. If God makes the call as to who he wants you to be and how he wants to shape your life, you will never find peace, contentment, or fulfillment outside of that. We try, don't we? We try to do everything in our power God has ordained for me to be a shining light in a dark workplace that I can't stand. Well, I'm going to complain, pout, kick, and do everything in my power to change my lot. 
God has ordained for me to be single right now and serve him with the precious gift of time that he's blessed me with. Well, I'm going to spend my time pining, wishing, hoping, complaining for things to change. Friend, even if it did, you wouldn't be happy. You wouldn't find joy because it's not what God wanted for you today. We want to be of great use to God, but we want it on our terms, in our plan. The truth is God only makes us as good or as great as we let Him. The more we comply with His plan, the greater the vessel we can become. You want to be of more value to the Master? You want to be a greater vessel for His power? It's not God or the church or the people around you holding you back. Dear friend, it's you. You know, as humans, we have our logic so backwards sometimes. We blame God for a lot of things that fall solely upon our shoulders. Isaiah said it. Isaiah 29:16. You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it? He did not make me. Can the pot say of the potter he knows nothing? It's essentially what we're telling God when we complain. When we don't agree with His plan. See, all that attitude, all that discontentment, you know what it does? It says, God, I don't trust you with my life. No, no, that's not what I'm telling God. I, I just wish for things to be different. That is what we're telling God in essence. Lord, I don't, I don't trust you enough to know what's better for me. I want my plans I want my dreams. I want my hopes, my desires for what I thought my life should be. I cannot rest in the fact, Lord, that, that you know what's best for me. He does. Let God define who you are and how your life should be shaped. He knows far better than you, my friend. He made you. He knows you. He knows the plan that He has in mind for you. Let Him make you who He wants you to be and use your life how He wants to use it. Rest in the contentment that comes from being in His will and in His way. There's no better contentment in life than being in His will. Rest in the fact that He does know better than we do. Look at what Isaiah 55.8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. We're not privy to what He knows. We don't know what He knows is around the corner for us. We're not privy to what His desires are for us. Ours is but to trust Him and to let Him shape us into who He wants us to be. My dreams of who and what I wanted to be didn't come true. Well, dear friend, let your dream be to be the person God wants you to be. Let your dream be to live the life God wants you to live. The life He's chosen for you. Take those dreams, those broken dreams, those wishes, those desires, place them at the feet of Christ. Trust the potter. He knows the plan. He knows the clay and the potter knows the plan. Third and finally, the potter knows the process. You know, it's one thing to know the destination. It's another to know the route. We never become what God wants us to be overnight. It's a journey. It's a process, isn't it? 
How many people do you know who have big dreams, big goals, big aspirations, but absolutely no idea how to get there? Worse, how many people do you know who have big dreams, big goals, big aspirations, big opportunities and a clear path to their goals, but they don't have the, the courage, the strength, the discipline, the patience to get there? Friend, we have a God who knows exactly what He wants us to be and He knows how to get us there. The potter spins the wheel and he applies pressure to the clay to shape it just right. It's a process. To the clay, it's a rough process sometimes, isn't it? Thank God the clay doesn't know what's about to hit it. It's spun seemingly out of control again and again and again. Pressure is applied to it to make it bend where it doesn't want to bend, to make it break where it doesn't want to break. And then when the shape is just right, the wheel stops. And we think, ah, it's over. And the fire starts. And we're thrown into the fire. God spins our lives and He sends circumstances and obstacles and pressures our way to drive us to Him and to shape us accordingly. We think we're going to break under all of it, don't we? Sometimes. We think we're spinning out of control, don't we? Never forget, God is on His throne. The potter is at the wheel. And it's His loving hands that are holding us through the entire process. All of it. If you ever watch a potter at work, there's something amazing you will notice. As he spins the wheel with his feet and molds the clay, his hands never leave the clay. It's always there, shaping it, molding it, stabilizing it. The hands of the potter never leave the clay. God's hands never leave your life. His eyes are always upon you. He is watching you. If you're in the middle of that process today, take heart in that. You're not alone. Your life and your circumstances are not spinning out of control. God is on His throne. The potter is still at the wheel. Your life is still in His hands. It's easier to jump off though, isn't it? We do it. It's easier to not comply with the potter and force the process to stop. We want to end the work that's barely begun in us. Things get tough. Things get hard. Things get hot. We want to run away. We want to jump off. We want to quit. No more process. No more pottery. I'm done. What does that accomplish? What do we become? Premature, ill-fated and aborted disasters. And then the years pass by and the clay hardens. And that's who we are. That's what we've become. Do you know Christians like that? Somewhere along the road, somewhere in the process, they quit. They jumped off of the potter's wheel and never became who God wanted them to be. They never matured into the man or woman of God that He had in mind. They're stunted, immature, unfinished, wobbly Christians. Their perspective is off. Their priorities are off. Their burden for the work of God is non-existent. Why? Well, it got too hot. Too hot, too difficult, too much sacrifice required. I want my way, my plans, my priorities, my desires, my interests. Is it worth it? At the end, we look back with what? Brokenness. 
not a good brokenness. A broken Christian. Is it worth the shame and disappointment? Ask yourself today honestly, did I give up? Did I quit? Am I a disappointment to God? It's a tough question to answer. It's a sad state to be looking back at a countless number of wasted years. But hopefully, with all hope, it's not the end. Friend, it's never too late. You can take your life and restart the process to turn you into His work of art. He'll never throw you away. He wants to rework and remake you. Let Him. He knows what to do and how to do it. Stay on that spinning wheel. Stay in His process. There's nothing better than being in His will. Bill McDonald used to say, it's the life of least regrets. What's the outcome of that life? A vessel of honor. A work that can be used by the Master. A vessel that can bless, encourage, inspire, and uplift those around it. That's who we want to be, isn't it? That's what we want for our lives. If it is, then remember, it's a process. It's not haphazard. It's not out of control. The potter knows the process. He knows the route. He knows where it begins and when it ends. He knows all the twists and the turns along the way. Let Him be your guide. The potter knows the clay. The potter knows the plan. And the potter knows the process. He knows who you are. He knows what He wants you to become. And He knows how to get us there. Friend, where are you today? We're going to wrap up shortly, but I want to ask you, are you sitting as a, as a raw piece of clay that's never been claimed by the potter? And you're wondering what your purpose or your place in this world could possibly be. I'm too far gone for God to do anything with my life. I'm too far gone for, for God to want me wrong. He loved you so much, He sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. To redeem you, to reclaim you, to ransom you. He waits for you this very day with arms open wide to receive, to forgive, to indwell. He wants to forgive your sins, to take over your life, indwell your heart, give you joy and contentment and begin forming a piece of ordinary, raw clay into a masterpiece. Take Him up on that offer. And believer, how about you? Are you on the spinning wheel today going through the molding and shaping process? It may be painful. It may be difficult. As God stretches you and bends you and molds you and breaks you. But take heart in this. Be encouraged. You're where God wants you to be. You're doing what God wants you to do. Keep your eyes focused on the goal. The result will all be worth it. He is making you into a vessel of honor fit for His work. There's no life better than the life lived, sold out for Christ and the advancement of His kingdom. And finally, you, dear friend, do you find yourself and your life in a shambled mess because in all honesty, you know you didn't stay in God's will. 
You jumped off that potter's wheel and you now see the consequences of a life of spiritual defeat and failure. It's not over. You can't go back and change what's already been done. It's so unfortunate and sad that life doesn't have an undo option, but God has a restart button. As long as you have breath to breathe, you have time to turn it around. Pick up the broken shards, the ruined mess, the spoiled, marred clay of your life and go back down to the potter's house. Ask for his forgiveness. Let him begin to fix, to retool, to remold you. Commit to his plan and stay in his process. And if you do, I promise you, one day, one day, everyone around you will look on with awe at the masterpiece that God has created in the person of you. A vessel fit for the work of God. A vessel clearly displaying the mighty hand of our Lord. Inadmissible proof of God's transforming power. A life with God's fingerprints all over it. A life that God has repurposed with His own hands. A life marked for all the world to see with one undeniable word, remade. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are but clay in Your hands. And as our potter, we trust You with our very lives. We sang it this morning. Have Your way, Lord. Have Your will in us. Let us get on and stay on Your potting wheel as You shape and mold us into the men and women You want us to be. Forgive us, Lord, for the rebellious arrogance that says we know better what's best for our lives. We don't. We've tried that way. It didn't work. Lord, take the broken pieces and the marred clay and remake us. Today we commit to You, Lord, our potter. We commit to Your plan and we commit to Your process. Give us the strength the courage and the faith to stay in Your will when things get uncomfortable, when things get difficult, when the circumstances of life seem to toss and turn us and spin us out of control. You be our calm, Lord. Let us remember You are the potter and You are in control of that spinning wheel. Let us find our calm in You. Let us know and hold on to the fact that You have Your hand on us and You will never let us go. Remake us, Father. And let us become mighty vessels for Your use. We love You. And we thank You for Your power in our lives and Your patience with us, Your very flawed clay. Thank You, Father. In the precious name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.